Let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Pray that you would help us this morning to understand what he was saying to them and what you are saying to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years since I've become a Christian, I've had a few theological heroes. People, and in particular for me it's been authors, authors who've been so helpful to me in my Christian life. I remember, for example, reading uh, Jim Packer's book, uh, Knowing God. I just remember my, my brain went, pow. It was just amazing, amazing stuff. Or, or his book, Among God's Giants, it transformed my thinking theologically. It's the reason I'm a Presbyterian. Uh, or there's John Stott. His book, The Cross of Christ, still uh, probably the most influential book in my life after the Bible itself. Uh, unfortunately, I've never had the chance to meet Jim Packer and I never got the chance to meet John Stott. I have had the opportunity, though, to be in the presence of a few of my heroes. But I'm afraid it hasn't always gone well. Uh, for example, there was uh, Don Carson. His books have been extremely influential on me. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to study with Dr Carson. He came out twice to teach lectures at uh, what was then the PTC in Sydney, and both times I sat and listened to his lectures for a week. Although I have to say that I was too shy to actually meet him in person. I felt like a, a passionate tennis player who plays for the local under-14Cs in the presence of like Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic or some, some world-famous tennis player like that. I was a bit, I was a bit overawed. I tried and tried to psych myself up. I practised my little speech to myself. Hello, Dr Carson, thank you so much for your books. Something like that. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Well, there was the time that Tim Keller came to Sydney. I've told you before how extremely helpful his book, The Reason for God, was uh, to me in, in a, a time of, uh, of doubt. In fact, many of his books have been really helpful to me. Well, Dr Keller came out to Sydney a couple of years ago. And I, along with about 100 other people, uh, had the privilege of being invited to a lunch that he was speaking at. After the lunch, which was at the Opera House, he walked outside, and, uh, and so I followed him. I thought, now's my chance to tell him what a blessing he's been to me. And there were lots of people wanting to talk to him, but I got a quick opportunity when he was on his own. Again, I was a bit overawed, but I was, I was not going to be silent this time. So I said, Dr Keller, I, I, I'm sorry if I sound like some kind of a groupie, but, but I did want to say thank you to you. Your books have been so helpful to me. Now, what you need to realise is that Keller is about 12 feet tall. <laughs> and so he, he, he looks down at me and he says, and you are? I looked up at him and I froze. I didn't know how to answer. I said, no one, and disappeared as fast as I could. <laughs> cursing myself for being such an idiot. <laughs> there are some impressive Christian teachers out there. It can be easy to, to kind of hero worship them. And, and of course, because our real hero is ourselves, it's a short step to then using Christian leaders to communicate something about ourselves. I want you to listen to this statement and ask yourself, what is the person trying to say about themselves? Do you get the question? What's the person trying to say about themselves with this statement? Here's the statement. I am a Calvinist. What's a person saying 
when they say that. Now, sure, it's a statement about a, uh, a theological position on certain issues, but it can also be a statement about ourselves, can't it? We're saying, I am one of those clever people. I am so aware of theology and church history that I can claim a brilliant European Reformation leader who you've probably never even heard of as influential in my profound thinking. I'm one of those well-read people, one of those well-read people who holds to classical Orthodox theology. I'm not like one of those Arminians or Apollinarians or Pelagians or Aquinians or or Occamists or Zwinglians. (laughs) We can do it, can't we? can do it, can't we? Associate ourselves with certain Christian leaders as a way of making ourselves look good. Well, as we've seen over these last few weeks, something similar was happening in the church in Corinth. They were having arguments over their theological heroes. The Corinthians were trying to make themselves seem wise and strong and popular by attaching themselves to famous theologians. And the competing groups, they were in conflict with each other. We saw it back in chapter 1, chapter 1 and verses 11 to 12. Paul wrote, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, in the letter so far, Paul's been dealing with the issue. He's told the Corinthians, look, your whole desire to be seen as wise and popular and powerful in the eyes of the world is upside down. It's contrary to the whole direction of the gospel. The gospel is not the world's wisdom. No, 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 no. As far as the world's concerned, the gospel is a weak, foolish, unpopular message preached to weak, foolish, unpopular people by a weak, foolish, unpopular preacher. Paul's point to the Corinthians has been this. If you want to be seen as wise and powerful and popular in the eyes of the world, you've chosen the wrong religion. If you want to be seen as wise and popular and strong in the eyes of the world, do not follow a crucified Christ. But Paul's not finished yet. He's got more to say on this issue. He wants the Corinthians, he wants them to get a a, a right view of their leaders a right view of their leaders. And that brings us to chapter 3. The first thing Paul says is this. He says, Christian leaders, they're not there to make you seem wise, powerful and popular. If you're using Christian leaders that way, you show yourself to be a worldly baby, not a spiritual adult. Now, you can imagine the background to to what Paul's saying here. The Corinthians Corinthians are arguing about who's the spiritual adult, who who are the spiritually mature ones. Some of them are saying, well, we follow Paul. So so we're the spiritually mature people, not back in the infancy of Old Testament slavery like those Peter disciples. Paul, say another group, he's not a real teacher. He gives mother's milk to babies. No, no. Adults will follow Apollos. There's a man who will give you some real meat. Apollos, say another group. You must be one of those mere humans who follow mere human teaching. No, no, not us. What we've done is we've marked all the words of Jesus in our Bibles in red. And those are the only words that we follow. Words from God for the truly godly. Chapter 3 here, Paul says, You reckon I gave you baby milk? Well, that's exactly what you need. 
The way you're arguing about different leaders, the way you're quarrelling about who's truly spiritual and mature, that's not spiritual or mature. It's all too human. It shows you to be worldly babies fit only for mother's milk. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? These Corinthians are acting like babies. And Paul goes on to say they've got a completely wrong view about what Christian leaders are all about. You should not boast in Christian leaders as if that makes you look good. No, 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 no. Two mistakes there. Firstly, they're not your leaders. They're not yours at all. They're not accountable to you. They're not yours to boast about. They belong to God, not you. And the job that God has given them is not to make you look wise and mature and spiritual in the eyes of the world. No, no, the, God, the, the, the job that God has given them is to help you believe the message of Jesus crucified, the message that will make you look a fool in the eyes of the world. Verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what's Paul? Only servants, not your servants, the Lord's servants. Servants through whom you came to believe the message of Christ crucified as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul says, you want to know how to think about Christian workers? Think about us like farmers. Think about yourselves, the church, as being like the farm. We work as we have a job to do. Planting, growing is an important job to help you grow. But the reality is, we're not working for you. We're working for God. And God is the one who grows you, not us. So he is the one who should get the glory. Paul says to the Corinthians, it's not about you. And it's not about us. It's all about God. We belong to him as his workers. You belong to him as his field. God grows the crops. It's all for his glory. Verse 6. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. That's the first image, the farm. Paul now changes the image slightly. He says Christian workers are like builders, builders working on God's building. God's temple. By God's grace, each builder has a different role to play in the building, important roles, but again, they're accountable to God. They must build on the right foundation, not on themselves, but on Jesus. The end of verse 9, you're God's field, you're also God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation must be Jesus. The people in God's temple have to be built on him. 
And again, Paul shifts the image very slightly and he starts to talk about that you have to build the people, you have to build the temple with fireproof materials. In other words, the teachers, they have to help the people to trust Jesus alone for their salvation. The teachers have to stick with the message of Jesus crucified, that the people mustn't be taught to rely on their teachers, they mustn't be taught to rely on themselves, they mustn't be taught to rely on anything else. Anything else that they rely on apart from Jesus will not get them through the fire of Judgment Day. The builders must build with fireproof materials. Verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. The builders have to do everything they can to build with fireproof materials. In other words, to build people who rely only on Jesus because judgment day is coming and it's only those who are relying on Jesus who will make it through the fire. And what Paul does now, he pictures three scenarios, three Three judgment day scenarios. The first, in the first judgment day scenario, the builder receives his reward. He trusted in Jesus, and so he's there in glory. And there with him, as his reward, are the people he's built. He taught them to trust in Jesus. They did. And now they are standing with their teacher, having passed through judgment, right with God, together. Verse 14. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. That was the first scenario. Second scenario. The builder, the builder stands alone. He trusted Jesus. He's there at the end. But for whatever reason, his hearers didn't trust in Jesus. Maybe they were relying on the teacher instead of Jesus. But, but, but for whatever reason, this builder stands alone among the ruin. Verse 15. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And then in the third scenario, the third judgment day scenario, the builder has destroyed God's sacred temple. He didn't trust in Jesus himself. He didn't teach other people to trust in Jesus. And his destiny is destruction. Verse 14. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. See the three pictures on Judgment Day? The builder standing with his reward because they were relying on Jesus, not him. The builder standing by himself because they weren't relying on Jesus. The builder destroyed because he himself wasn't relying on Jesus and didn't teach other people to do so. Can you see how crazy it is for these Corinthians to be saying, I follow Paul, doesn't make that make me look good. If Paul is getting them to follow him, he's in big trouble. At very best, he's going to come come through judgment smelling very strongly of smoke. At worst, he himself will be destroyed. If Apollos has been getting people to rely on himself to make them look good, he's in big trouble. It is a complete misunderstanding of what Christian leaders are on about to try to use them in your ego quest. 
they are accountable to God to point people not to themselves but to Jesus. That, that is what it's about. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, look, you just got to stop this whole trying to be seen as wise in the world, in the eyes of the world thing. Stop caring about what the world thinks. God reckons that the wisdom of the world is ridiculous anyway. Instead, be a fool in the world's eyes. Trust the crucified Jesus. Verse 18, don't deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Paul says, stop with this wanting to be wise. And he says, stop using Christian leaders in this misguided quest. Stop boasting about Christian leaders. It's not what they're for. Leaders are God's servants to help you be found right with God through Jesus. They're God's good gift to you, not to make you look wise in the world's eyes. No, no. They're God's good gift to you, not to further your worldly agenda. No, no. They are God's good gift to you for a profoundly more important, a profoundly more wonderful reason to help you be found in Jesus, right with God forever. Verse 21. So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Can you see what's here in this passage? These Corinthians, they're trying to align themselves with their theological heroes to make themselves seem wise, spiritual, and mature. Paul says, you're acting like worldly babies. Christian leaders are not there to follow. Christian leaders are not there for you to claim in your ego quest. Christian leaders are responsible to God to point you not to themselves, but to Jesus. One point, to Jesus. Sure, they do an important job, but it's not about them. It's not about you. It's about God who saves and grows us through Jesus alone. Okay. There are a couple of ways that we need to apply this passage to ourselves. First, We need to reflect on our view of Christian ministers, of people who serve us in Christ. And second, we need to reflect on our own personal ministry, our view of those who serve us and our view of the way we serve. First, our view of Christian ministers. Now, at the risk of sounding self-serving, I think we should love and respect faithful Christian workers, those people who labour in our farm to help us grow, those people who help build us into God's temple, Uh, whether that be our our, our ministers or our Bible study leaders or our our kids' kids' church leaders or our youth group leaders. These people are doing an eternally important job. They should be loved, respected. And, of course, the best way that we can show our love and respect to those who serve us in Christ is to trust Christ, to rely on Jesus and live for him so that on that last day we will be there with our builders as their glorious reward. What we should not do with leaders is rely on them as if they can save us. What we should not do with leaders is hero worship them like they're some different species. What we should not do with leaders is conscript them into our ego games, drop their names to make us look good. Now, I doubt very much that saying I follow Jeff is going to help anyone in their ego game. 
what's that saying about you? I'm irrelevant, nobody's ever heard of me. Um, but uh, um, I don't think we need to worry too much about that. Uh, but I do love what Martin Luther says, says about this. Uh, someone once asked Martin Luther what he thought about people calling themselves Lutherans, and he replied in his normal, very abrupt manner. He said this, I ask that my name be left silent, and people not call themselves Lutherans, but rather Christians. Who's Luther? The, the doctrine is not mine. I've been crucified for no one. St Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 5 would not suffer that the Christians should call themselves of Paul or of Peter, but Christian. How should I, a poor stinking bag of worms, become so that the children of Christ are named with my unholy name? It should not be, dear friends. Let us extinguish all factious names and be called Christians whose doctrine we have. Claire Isabel, wouldn't you say? How should we view those who love and who lead us and serve us in Christ? We should love them by growing as Christians, by trusting Jesus and living for him. Thanks, brother. I've got to say, this is my constant prayer. It's my constant prayer that when that last day comes, we will be standing together thanking Jesus for saving us and thanking each other for each other's help along the way. That's my great vision. Our second application. Second application of this passage is for us to reflect on our own personal Christian ministry. Now, this passage teaches us what faithful Christian ministry is. In faithful Christian ministry, we are accountable to God to point people to Jesus and not ourselves. Did you get that? In faithful Christian ministry, we are accountable to God to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. That, I think, highlights a couple of wrong paths that we can take in our thinking about ministry. First, first there are those of us who give ministry the dregs of our time. Who, who resentfully fit serving Jesus in after we've finished with our work and our family and going to the gym and watching TV, as if we're doing God some kind of a, a special favour that we would grant him some, some moments of our time. Friends, we are accountable to God to work in his farm, on his temple, and a judgment day is coming where we will stand either with our reward or on our own or in deep trouble. That, I think, should challenge us, don't you? Ministry is not a chore to be resentfully fitted into our busy schedules. Ministry is a privilege, a privilege that we should be gratefully making a high priority. We should be jumping forward to get involved. We should be preparing thoroughly when we do and we should be serving diligently, accountable to God, to point people to Jesus and not to ourselves. But then on the other hand, for those of us who do work hard in ministry, well, the temptation is to look for accolades, isn't it? We want everyone to see what a good job we've done, to, to thank us and, and tell us how good we are. Again, it's a wrong path, isn't it? Faithful ministry should not point people to us. It should point people to Jesus. That's why some of the best ministry is done when no one's watching. We are accountable to God to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves, so we should serve diligently for God's glory and not our own.
Well, things didn't go so well with Don Carson or with Tim Keller for me. Uh, but last year I got to meet uh, another one of my theological heroes. Back in 2012, when uh, I was on long service leave, uh, I, I was pretty worn out. And I, I have to admit, I, I read a lot of rubbish in my attempts to inspire myself, but I, I read a couple of books by a guy called Michael Horton, Professor Michael Horton, and they were wonderful, so encouraging. A big part of the reason why I'm back here serving with enthusiasm today. Well, last year, Michael Horton came out to Sydney and uh, I attended some lectures that he was giving. And I really wanted to say thank you to him. So I worked up the courage. And after one of the lectures, I, I walked down to the front and walked up to him. I waited for the queue of people to die down. And then I took my courage in my hands and approached him. And I said, hi, I'm Jeff Reed." And he looked at me as if to say, and? But then suddenly his eyes lit up. He said, you're Carmelina's husband. Oh, she's such a fine lady, so talented. So, and, and as he went on and on, I thought, that's what I should have said to Tim Keller. When, when he asked me who I am, I should have said Carmelina's husband. It would have all worked fine. Um, anyway, we went on to have a nice conversation for a couple of minutes. I was able to say to him how much his books had helped me. And he said, he said thank you, brother, for telling me. He said, praise God that I've been able to help you. Much more appropriate conversation, don't you reckon? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the foundation on which we are built. We thank you that built in him, we will come through that day of judgment. We pray, Heavenly Father, you would help us to rely on him alone. Help us to view those who serve us in Christ rightly, loving them and loving them enough to trust Jesus and live for him. And we pray that we ourselves would be faithful farmers, faithful builders, seeking to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to ourselves, in our service to you. Please help us in this by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>